Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Utah's 2020 school year. Special coverage on Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News, and this is about schools. We have uh, many of our students are re-engaging today and throughout the week this week, and we just thought that would be a great opportunity for us to uh, have Sid Dixon back on on the program. Uh, Sid is the uh, state superintendent of public instruction. She has uh, led that since 2016, and uh, her insight and understanding of what we need to do and how we need to do it. This is so complex. Uh, I'm grateful we have a, a leader like Sid Dixon uh, leading the charge on this. Sid, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Boyd. Thanks for having me. I, I know you got a few things going on, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to for, first just get a uh, uh, just a quick blush. What are we looking like? How are you feeling uh, rolling into really this first big gear up week in terms of back to school? So far, the reports coming in are all positive. Washington County let out last week, and um, they reported that. Schools came, uh, students came back happy to school, and the buses and the classrooms, they were filled with energy and joy, and they've been excited so far. So that's that's the good news. Off to a good start. That's great. And uh, I know one of the, uh, really, the governing principles I think you're going <laughs> to you're gonna have to lead with uh, is being nimble and adapting uh, as the dynamics change. Tell us what your planning looks like, what you're preparing for. Correct. That term of nimble has been our operating principle for sure. All of our schools, when they submitted plans, our districts and our charters, they didn't submit just one plan, but you could see that they had been very diligent in thinking about the conditions in their county and in their cities. So they have plans to go remote should they have to quarantine or the virus spreads in their community. Um, There are in-person opportunities and some hybrid. So they've really looked at being nimble and, and preparing their teachers and families for those different options, depending again on the risk of the virus. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's so vital. And I know one of the things that uh, has started to bubble up and it's become more apparent, not just in the K through 12, but even in higher ed, uh, are some of the uh, you mentioned them as the the ecosystem of education and thinking about things like you know access to to broadband for those who are staying home or those who are doing hybrid models. Uh, child care, and then you also have our special needs students. Talk to us about some of those issues uh, and how we're preparing to deal with that in this next phase. 
Well, we learned in a soft closure that broadband really has become an essential utility. We need to start thinking of it like we do our electricity and our water. And it's not just about access to learning for our students, but really thinking about, as you mentioned, the ecosystem of schools, families having jobs, having access to information. So it really has become such an essential part of the fiber and the infrastructure of our communities. And we're getting better. We're starting to make connections. Our industry partners have really leaned in. But we have places where we can't even ping a cell tower. So um, communities, for example, in Ogden, there are communities where they put up a couple of new LTE cell towers and students will be able to access broadband fibers being laid down into San Juan County, into some remote areas. So that's being done, but it's something that we have to keep our eye on and continue to put resources towards so that it's affordable. Um, certainly, we know that with the economic downturn, that is an additional crisis that is a result of COVID for sure, but we're feeding more students. Transportation's an issue. Homelessness is on the increase. So these are things that, again, will be mitigated at the school by providing those services. And and collectively, we can't put this on the backs of our schools. We have to think of it as a community. Oh, I, th- that's such important insight. If you just join us, we've got Sid Dixon, State Superintendent of Public Instruction, on the line. And uh, these areas that you just mentioned, uh, I mean, things that we don't think of. I know a lot of folks are saying, hey, just throw the kids in the classroom and tell the teachers to go for it. Uh, but it is. It's everything from who needs to be fed, who needs housing and homes who needs access to to internet and broadband and all of those kinds of things there's there are so many moving pieces and parts of this uh that that are a a real challenge and uh i want to spend our our last couple of minutes uh talking about some of the the stressor components uh i was talking earlier in the show and said you know there's with, with all the stress going on as you mentioned some of those in terms of the economics a lot of families are hurting and struggling uh, you've got a lot of the racial unrest and civil unrest that's going on. And, and while it's important for our students to be able to process that, you know, with teachers who can provide context, uh, there's also this important thing of them interacting with their peers and with each other to process a lot of what they're experiencing. Yeah, that's really insightful. I, I think we need to get you a teaching degree, <laughs> <laughs> if this, this radio and editorial gig don't uh, doesn't work out for you. But but you're absolutely spot on. We are so focused on the pandemic and the the COVID part of that. But really, we have to think about these three crises simultaneously. So it is the definitely the pandemic of the virus. It's this um, issue that our students face during the summer of really watching the death of George Floyd and the toxic stress that comes from the racial unrest and the unrest in homes. And I would just say that we're really in this space of um, thinking about just the the discord. So really we have this disease of discord that we're dealing with, and that creates a lot of toxic stress for our students and for their families. And that comes into the classroom. So our teachers providing a calming space where they can unpack a lot of this, have peer interactions and have interaction with their teachers really is paramount to helping our students with social emotional needs as well. Uh, that's it's so important. And just uh, one last uh, thing I want to get to, uh, and that is the, the teachers themselves, all of the issues we've just raised in terms of economics and social and emotional, uh, all of those stressors also apply to our teachers. Again, sometimes I think we categorize our teachers as these superhumans who just amazingly show up every day and make miracles happen with our children. 
but they're also dealing with all the things the rest of us are dealing with, and they're going into that classroom space. What are we doing to, to help and reinforce the teachers entering, again, this fall classroom? Thank you so much for acknowledging the teachers. They really are our heroes, and we, we've we asked a lot of them. We've asked them to really gear up in a different way for safety and health of our students while dealing with all of the social-emotional needs as well as academic, and then being nimble and being ready to teach uh, in an online format or classroom format. So imagine everything that's, that is being laid at their feet. So the best thing we can do is to honor them, give them the supplies and the support that they need, make sure that they feel safe both emotionally and um, physically. And also, as you mentioned, they're part of this economic ecosystem. Yeah. So how are we providing them with the child care, the flexibility that they need as well? So um, providing schedules and support. And most of all, just the way we talk about and support our teachers, it, uh, it it's made me sad to see some parents uh, butting up against our teachers, and we're all one system together. This is hard on everybody, but our teachers are on the front line, and they deserve our utmost respect and support. Mm, fantastic. Sid Dixon, so appreciate your leadership as state superintendent of public instruction. Appreciate all you're doing. Please keep us posted as we continue to be nimble uh, and to move forward as we move into education in the fall. Thank you so much for focusing on the importance of our schools. We appreciate it, Boyd. You bet. All the best. All right. Again, that's uh, Sid Dixon. Such great insight. Appreciate that. And again, we, we have to think bigger. It's so easy to get to the political part of this discussion of kids going back to school. It's so easy to focus on one tiny element of it and blow it out uh, as a big political issue. Uh, these This is complicated. Uh, I mean, just listen to some of the things that uh, that State Superintendent Dixon talked about. Uh, in terms of the ecosystem and, and broadband and how many kids are now homeless that uh, have a whole different set of issues that need food and supplies and all of those other things. Think about our teachers and what they're going. They're dealing with all the stuff the rest of us are dealing with, plus they're walking into that classroom. So these are complicated things. It requires great leadership. It requires great patience. And I love that they've really nailed this word nimble. Uh, there's going to be a lot of shift. There's going to be a lot of learning and great institutions learn and change rapidly. That's the name of the game. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside. When we come back, we're going to talk about convention speeches. We're going to talk about unconventional conventions and speeches that actually made an impact. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.